Hi, and welcome to Edge with Dr. Stephen Brown. This podcast series focuses on the story, the personal narrative of Australians who have pushed at the edge. They have been pioneers who are doing amazing things that are a little bit different to the everyday. Sometimes their stories are told and well celebrated, and sometimes these stories are reasonably well hidden. Dr. Stephen Brown is a highly regarded leader in the education sector, both in Australia and internationally. He is the Managing Director of the Brown Collective and has a strong interest in people and getting to know their stories. He has developed this podcast series to introduce you to some of Australia's finest citizens. Welcome everybody to this latest episode of EDGE. My guest today is somebody who lives a portfolio, interesting life, a Territorian of about nine years, somebody who mixes the world of comedy and communication, I guess, and connects them together, somebody who actually uh, makes people laugh, have fun uh, and joy. I first got to uh, connect with this great person in Alice Springs and observe her engaging in a workshop. And I was drawn to her sense of uh, energy, passion, and a way of connecting with people. It's my tremendous pleasure to introduce today's guest on each, Amy Hetherington. Welcome, Amy. Hey, how are you going? Very good, Amy. Um, did you wake up one day and say, hey, I'm funny and uh, I'm going to be a comedian, uh, the girl from Albany? Oh, look. It's one of those funny things, um, stand-up comedy, where like some people are genuinely quite naturally funny and it falls into place for them. Other people discover these things about themselves as they go along. But I think I was really lucky. I've always been somebody who likes to entertain people and make them laugh. Uh, I just took a little bit longer to find stand-up than other people might have. It took moving to Darwin and just saying yes to a few random things to, to learn about it. I think even as a kid, I loved making people laugh, being the centre of attention. It kind of it matched my personality a bit. Take me back to Albany. What are your most fondest memories? And I guess uh, being the centre of attention, your uh, self-reflection and uh, being funny, what, what was it like? Oh, I had such a spoiled childhood, not in terms of things. We, we were pretty middle of the road in that sort of, space but I felt spoiled in terms of the involvement that my parents gave to me and my sister we had the most beautiful mum and dad mum and dad are great they get involved in everything they want to be participants not just observers so for us there was a lot of sport there was a lot of fishing and camping there was a lot of volunteering there was a lot of being involved in our community and I think mum and dad really instilled in us you want to take something you've got to give it first so uh, my fondest memories of Albany are I reckon playing soccer as a family so me and my sister used to play soccer every weekend and dad would coach teams mum would run the finances behind some of the clubs they'd all work at the cafeteria like the whole family would be down there for an entire weekend just being a part of something a bit bigger than us so that's always been a very fond part of my looking back at Albany and then just also getting into things like junior circus and performance stuff as a, as a young person. I had a lot of energy and wasn't afraid of anything. So my parents did a good job of going, all right, I think this human being needs to be 
in front of people um, and encourage that out of me as a young person. So they were they were quick to get onto that. Uh, we hear so often about um, the darker days of being a comedian, the things that uh, you're making other people laugh. I mean, what what's your greatest, um, I guess, fear or anxiety um, getting in front of every night or doing stand-up and, I guess, presenting in your own life, facilitating new groups and connecting with people. But coming to being a stand-up comedian, what's your greatest anxiety and what's your greatest fear? Do you have them? Yeah. I mean, every time you do a show or a performance, I think there's a level of anxiety. I, I've spent a lot of time reframing my nerves into excitement. So the words like fear and anxiety and nerves I don't usually use them in my vocabulary I've I've become pretty I'm, I'm I'm very strong on myself about using the right words so that I approach things with a lot more positivity that's a big part of what I what I try to do so a lot of the times I'm excited or up for the challenge and I think that that big challenge that I kind of face is not wanting to let anyone down people will trust you as a comedian especially if you're doing a, a solo show and people have bought tickets to come and see you talk for an hour you don't want to let anyone down you want to make sure they have a good time so I really like using my comedy to make sure that people leave feeling better that they have a fun time I tend to not do too much of that political style of comedy or things that could be too controversial because I don't think it fits with my own ethos around comedy um, some people are a lot better at that sort of material than I am mine's more about how can people forget about the stresses of their life for a little bit and just have a really good time? I think that's the gift that I'm able to give. So take us to the fringe and uh, ducking terrified. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's uh, amazing alliteration. I think, wow, ducking terrified. You've got to be careful how you say that. Oh, look, I mean, if anyone's ever seen me do comedy before, you know that I don't mind a bit of a swear. There's a few, few words that aren't going to come out on the podcast that I use in my comedy. It's a funny thing, this comedy and corporate world that I've kind of mixed because I guess comedy Amy is a lot louder a little bit more bogan a little bit more rough around the edges while corporate facilitating Amy is somebody that people are trusting to run events well or to run workshops in a professional manner and it's it's nice to have those two kind of styles but I think they also need to complement each other in a way so I'm really lucky that I work in the territory where things are a little bit more laid back, a little bit more playful. I can have a little bit more of that fun and comedy in what I do. But I, yeah, I try to avoid things that are too controversial in my comedy, given the work that I do, but I'm, I'm not afraid to overshare. Most of my material is about dumb things that I've done or dumb things that my family members have done. So people who become friends with me are kind of warned about that beforehand. So we've got to be careful around you. We might yes. be the subject of your next uh, part of the show. So you've performed I, at, in Melbourne at um, the Comedy Festival, the Fringe, uh, et cetera. What's your reflection about those big stages and uh, being on those stages? It's a good question, especially after the year that a lot of performers had in 2020 where stages and audiences were taken away. The gratitude for being able to have an audience is it's escalated since it's all come back and I've had the privilege of being able to do shows to audiences of two and a half thousand people at the Comedy Gala in Darwin, couple like about 600 at these beautiful wineries across um, across South Australia and then even like 
three people at the Adelaide Fringe. Like that entire spectrum of audience, all of it is something that I'm grateful for and really I check my privilege as much as I can to have people that actually want to sit and listen to me talk. I think any audience, the thing I love the most about comedy is you never know what's going to happen. Every show is slightly different. Every experience is its own moment in a present time and you can never really recreate things exactly the same. And I think if, if you're trying to do that, you're not actually being in that moment. And a lot of my joy from comedy comes from you have people in a space that are willing to be a part of this once in a lifetime, maybe never ever happening again experience and it's it's just for you and them. And that's why I think I like audiences and live comedy, maybe so, more so than other styles of comedy like video or writing and those kind of things. So I um, missed you at the Adelaide Fringe because of circumstance, but I would go on to see a contemporary like Jim Owen and, um, uh, you know, obviously uh, very clever, uh, big name. Um, yeah, to sustain his performance for over an hour and just to that energy level is just something I studied, bearing in mind uh, meeting you and other comedians and looking at how you get in that zone and be connected with your audience, uh, whether they be three or 2,000. So is it that genuine self-talk, uh, making sure you're up all the time for that particular engagement? So how do you do that? Yeah, I mean, it does require a lot of energy because you have to be present, you have to be there for that whole moment, you've got to remember all of that material, you've got to respond to the audience as they're picking on things or laughing at things more than others. It takes a lot out of you. I'm lucky I'm quite an energetic person um, naturally. That is, that's how I kind of am. I get a lot of my energy off other people too, being an extrovert. But a lot of comedians are actually introverts, so they'll do a show and then they need time to recover afterwards. Adelaide Fringe was a funny time for me because I was in the first trimester of my pregnancy, so I was physically exhausted um, to begin with and I was doing something like four shows a night for three weeks down there. I'm still not sure how I did it, but I, I'm very grateful that this um, early stages of my pregnancy weren't as challenging as they can be for some people and this little baby let me get through those shows. Yeah, obviously one of the questions later on, but what next? You've got a what next, um, I, I guess, uh, talk about. But, you know, going back to the interface between your corporate work and comedy, we know from research that if people have fun doing something, there, greater chance remembering things. Yeah. I don't buy your veneer about uh, layback. I think it's a very deliberate, uh, yeah, organised strategy that is Amy Hetherington when facilitating. So, do you think it's? Uh, do you notice difference with different types of audience, from accountants to engineers? Yeah. You know, how do they have fun, not have fun? It's very funny that you say that, actually, because this week has been one of those weeks where I've gone from six different industries of professional development workshops or facilitating. It's been a really full week for that. So from real estate agents to uh, financial brokers um, from the Commonwealth Bank to some young people at a school, um, it's been a real diverse week. And it's interesting how everyone approaches um, things differently, how different personality types maybe hold back a little bit before letting themselves give over into different situations. I, I'm pretty clear at the beginning whenever I'm facilitating something or running a workshop what my ethos is, which is around making things more fun, 
allowing people to connect and encouraging people to be creative so that they use different parts of their brain in a session. So they're the three, I guess, core values of what I try to bring into things. And I, I like to explain why a lot of these um, maybe more practical industries like your engineers and accountants need to know why before they'll allow that space to be created. And I think once you've done a couple of those activities or a couple of facilitated moments and then you can see that it's working, you watch a lot of those shoulders like relax and the arms uncross. Uh, some people aren't going to come on the journey with you and that, that's okay. People are allowed to make choices. But I feel quite lucky that I've found um, a way to pitch it that seems to be working for a lot of different industries at the moment. And you're right. I don't think people learn the same unless they're having fun or they have a connection to what they're learning or that they have some sort of um, twist in the way that they experience things. Sitting and listening, listening passively is such a hard way to take in content. And I think the more that people are active in the way that they're engaging with it, the more likely it is that that training, professional development or facilitating is going to have results for those people. And that, I, I believe in that as much as I say that I'm all about fun I'm about fun, but I'm also about results. I want people to really leave something better than what they were at. Yeah, that goes back to my previous statement. There is a lot of fun, but there's intentional uh, yes. yeah. uh, strategies that you apply and when, when I observe you uh, facilitate in the space. So uh, I do buy it and I do see it. Just in terms of leadership and obviously building on that, the whole range of industries and various forms of leaders in those industries. What do you observe in terms of your sense of good leaders and what do they do? Uh, what are those things you see over and over? It's actually quite a timely question because I'm running a workshop on leadership next week for international students in the top end. So it's something I've actually been spending a bit of time thinking about. And I think for me, the leaders that I admire the most are the ones that are the most authentic, that aren't trying to be something else because they feel like that's going to encourage people or they feel like that's what people want to see in that space. I think somebody who's being genuine and authentic and actually giving time to the people that they're working with to understand what they're about and how to work with them to encourage them to own things are doing a better job. For me, my style of leadership is less about me being like, all right, this, this, this and this. It's more about that cooperative communication. How can I help you see what I'm seeing so then you get to own that drive to achieve these things? So spending a bit of time on that, that empathy and that understanding somebody else's why or their driver and connecting the goal to those things so that I don't have to spend every day checking a list to make sure people are on the same page as me. I know that they're there from the beginning, so... Those foundations of shared understanding and values, I think a good leader spends time on that. Yeah, very true. The authenticity, <laughs> the values, uh, common ground, uh, yeah. shared purpose. Yeah. And understanding the people that are around you. I think I'm really intrigued by people and what motivates them. And um, I've always been a, a, like really into stories. I love hearing people's stories. And I think if you can make time at the beginning of a project or an initiative to to hear those stories and to understand those stories, it'll inevitably help you for time later on. So, yeah, those, those first encounters, that first moment, are really valuable. 
I guess it's a nice way of playing back the intersection between a comedian, a former storyteller, and uh, yeah. actually understanding people and all of those things we just talked about. It's yeah. uh, a wonder you're uh, very good at uh, your craft of comedian, facilitator, uh, engager. Um, so tell me uh, just a couple of things. I know the immediate answer, I guess, bring it back. Um, a wonderful event coming on the 9th of September. Um, yeah. I'm having a baby. <laughs> it's so crazy. I still can't get my head around that. I, I guess that's another part of me. I'm very present. Everything that I'm working on, I, I tend to be in that moment now. I'm not very good at future forecasting. That's not one of my strengths. My strengths in that now. But it's beginning to feel real, especially because it, kicking all the time I can feel it but it's from a comedy perspective I think anything that you're going through in your life and it's relatable or it's something that's happening that's where comedy comes from so this new adventure that I'm going on is actually making me a better comedian because I've got new things to write about new things to share new audiences to connect with and that's really exciting for me like I, I was really apprehensive at first I thought it would really affect my ability to do these things but actually anytime you grow as a human you're actually getting better at what you what you do anyway because you're becoming stronger you're learning new things and I'm learning new things about myself in this pregnancy and I presume I'm going to learn new things as a parent but you're only going to make me better at what I do so it's it's an exciting time even being part of a baby boom which seems to be going around Australia at the moment I'm uh yeah, the next generation of, uh, of boomers are coming at the moment and they're all COVID babies by the sounds of it. Yeah, yeah. And um, obviously, what are your hopes and dreams uh, for um, your child and uh, what are your hopes and dreams or next steps for Amy Hetherington, which obviously oh. can't be separated? Yeah, I guess. Nothing can be separated now, can it? I want this little human to feel connected to their community. That's a big thing for me, I think. Um, you've got to feel a part of something. So I, I plan on taking this baby with me to all sorts of things, um, whether I'm volunteering or getting involved with the community, doing comedy, running events. I, I want I want this tiny person to be part of that with me um, and then to have their own version of that when they're old enough. I want them also to feel um, a sense of responsibility for more than themselves, which I think comes from being more connected to your community. So I think the more that I can give alongside with that child, the better it's going to be. And I wanted to have fun. Like being a kid should be fun. I think there's a lot of stress put on parenting and rights and wrongs and being, being a kid and being right and doing things perfectly for somebody. But I don't think that all of that stress always results in positive results. I think if I'm having fun and the child's having fun, that's a beautiful thing to be able to offer somebody and, Given I'm in the business of fun, what a what a good a good head start we've got there. Well, that that comes through. I'm uh, getting a bit um, envious of this unborn child. <laughs> fun you two are going to have. Um, I will have fun, but imagine how much comedy I'm going to write about them. Like that's my next thing. I want to know how many jokes I need to do before the baby's tax deductible. <laughs> <laughs> my own negatively geared baby. <laughs> You mentioned uh, the connectivity part and obviously back to your parents and who gave you those values, modelled that sense of contribution to community, family orientation. That obviously comes through very strongly in your work and what your hopes and dreams are. Just a, a soundbite, I guess. 
COVID-19 showed us the value of what we've missed out, our, our sense of each other and disconnection. Why do you think there is uh, some parts of our world or people who are disconnected or don't have that sense that you and I might perhaps uh, see as a connection to community? It's a hard thing to talk on somebody else's behalf um, generally, mm. but I think from what I've heard when I've been in, in, involved in different groups and things, because some of the groups that I facilitate with are people that require a bit of support to feel better or there are young people that might be a bit disengaged. I think there's there's a fear of failure that stops people from participating. Um, people worry about looking silly. People worry about doing the wrong thing. Um, people worry about being judged. And I think that stops a lot of people from putting their hand up maybe in the first place to begin those connections to things. People can be quite anxious about um, reaching out and being a part of something that they haven't done before, something new. So I think a lot of it might come down to that fear and anxiety and that lack of confidence. And I think the more opportunities we have to help people feel self-confident and to feel appreciated for putting in that effort, I think that can help with people seeing the benefits of, of community or whether it's volunteering or whether it's um, participating. And I also I think some people just don't know that it's there. I think we're really lucky that we've been able to see it. And I'm really lucky I've been able to see it for a young, from a young age that my parents were involved as well. So I've been able to see these opportunities around me instead of only see the same things. So being able to cast that, that vision a bit wider and see opportunities, I think, is a, is a gift. And maybe that's something that is a, a good thing to instill in young people so that they are forever scanning for those things instead of just looking forward as the only direction. Amy, you're such a, a passionate person, somebody who is hope-filled, positive about the future. Obviously, uh, somebody who's deeply connected to community, uh, wanting to make a difference. Somebody who has a real incredible uh, flair for what they do and uh, understanding your story and the way you understand others' story. And uh, I get a real sense of how you help others uh, make a journey in their life and take the next step and having fun uh, with a real focus. And Amy, congratulations on your career thus far. Congratulations on all the contributions you have made and will continue to make and all the very best uh, for the next stage of your life journey with an uh, addition to your family. Look forward to continue our association and uh, potentially interaction together professionally over the coming years so thank you amy and uh, any last words of advice thank you so much that was a lot of compliments for me to take just then and it doesn't help like the the pregnancy i get a little bit like oh it's too much for my emotions right now i'm usually very good at just being like yep cool and now i feel a lot more than i ever have before um but i appreciate it and i also um i appreciate the platform to be able to share these ideas i think as my last thing, not everyone gets these kind of opportunities. So it's, it's important that if you are somebody that's listening to this podcast and you enjoy hearing about these things, that sometimes you um you seek them out from other people that might not have the the luxury to be able to 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 speak on a platform like this. Because there are so many incredible people out there that have so many things to share, but sometimes they just need to be asked. So go out there and have a chat to somebody new. I think it's a beautiful thing that we can do. 
Thanks for chatting and thanks for sharing that wisdom and insight. Yeah, the challenge rests with you out there because um, we need to hear those voices and we need to keep them connected. So thank you, Amy Hetherington, comedian, facilitator, communication extraordinaire expert. And <laughs> uh, we greatly uh, uh, like to have a head on edge uh, podcast. So thank you, Amy. It's been a delight. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us today. You can follow Dr. Stephen Brown on LinkedIn and Twitter on at Dr. Stephen Brown One. Please join us next time for another episode of EDGE.